Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark once again in chapter 4. We will be looking at verses 26 through 29. Mark 4, verses 26 through 29. Please pray with me once again. Heavenly Father, I come before Thee, O Lord, thankful for this day, thankful for the songs of praise, the hymns, the psalms that we can sing unto Thee as we delight ourselves in Thee, O Lord. God, through this preaching, help us to delight in Thee more. Let it be an act of doxology, of exaltation, and not merely head knowledge, but that we would Worship Thee in the hearing of the word preached in both spirit and in truth, O God. Lord, please help us by the power of Thy Holy Spirit. Father, teach us more of who Thou art. Open up Thy word to us. Lord Jesus, be Thou exalted in this sermon. Holy Spirit, please open up our ears, our hearts, our minds, to receive thy word, to understand thy word. Please apply it to thy people, O God. Lord, help thou me, this poor servant, in an attempt to do the impossible, to give due justice to thy word. We thank thee for giving it to us. We rely upon thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. The title of our sermon is, God Giveth the Increase. God Giveth the Increase. <clears throat> Dear congregation, the religious life of man is one of the greatest of all mysteries. It's one of the greatest of all mysteries. The gospel's progress, acceptation among individuals and nations is often styled by the Apostle Paul with that very word, mystery. Mystery. That we, sinners, sinners dead in trespasses, dead in sins, dead in transgression, could have redemption through God's blood. The forgiveness of our sins is due simply to the mystery of God's will. His good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 9. Indeed, that any, that any man, any person be saved is simply mysterious. It's beyond comprehension entirely. Or as John puts it, it is grace for grace, John 1.17. Salvation, the salvation of sinners, is mysterious, both in its origin, how did it even come about, and in its application, how could any of these sinners be saved? Indeed, how? How can it be? How can it be? How could any of us possibly, possibly be saved? If we examine it, the case is hopeless, dear congregation. Our case is hopeless. We are dead 
It is too late for us. We have utterly undone ourselves. None of the mighty beasts. None of the, of the elders. No, none of the greatest, most glorious, and righteous angels have been found worthy or able to take the scroll, that scroll of redemption, from the right hand of omnipotence and to break its seals and open it. So what of us? Well, we lay weeping. We lay weeping. Ah, but then, then, mysteriously and unexpectedly, there comes a voice from one in that room. Weep not, a severe and sharp command. Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. At this word, we wipe our eyes, we lift our weary, burdened heads, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he comes, this lamb, and he takes the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. A mysterious sight. Another that we could look at. The bones. The bones that lay in the valley of sin. Dry bones of sinners, dead in sin, at enmity with God, against God. And yet behold, dear Christian, they are very dry. They are very dry. Yet of a sudden, the Spirit of God blows upon them, these lifeless, dry, dead bones. Sinews and muscle and flesh come upon them. Clothing, armor, and weaponry from God is given to them. They rise, a terrible and innumerable army. They begin to walk. They live. They live. They breathe. They move. Though they were dead, dry bones, yet now they live. Mysterious. So, how can it be, my dear Lazaruses? How can it be that though ye lay rotting one time in your tombs, stinking, yet you rose? You rose. You came forth. How can it be? Was it not at that omnipotent voice that ye rose? The booming, bellowing, Shout of those words, Lazarus, come forth. Mm. Yea, indeed, you rose, you went forth, and you followed him whose voice called you out of the tomb. Mystery of mysteries, dear congregation, that wretches like we, sinners and rebels like we, might be saved. Let us never forget that. Let us never grow weary of hearing of this great, sovereign, unmerited, and unsought-for grace given to us sinners. From God to us, word, who believe. How is it, dear believer, that you are saved? How did it happen? And why you, and not some other? Was not your own heart as well dead toward God? Were you not also at enmity with God? 
at enmity with your creator, unwilling and unable to love him, to serve him, to receive him or his deliverance? Were you not also on the road to destruction, even a citizen of hell itself, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience? Yet here you sit. Here you sit, a child of God, a co-heir with Christ, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, having hope, having hope according to the working of God for you in Christ. Truly, dear believers, by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This mysterious work of salvation A work which no man can accomplish for himself or for another, nor even comprehend such a work, is explained by our Lord Jesus here in the text before us today. Contextually, Jesus had given his disciples the parable of the sower, that the good soil being tilled and plowed and prepared by the sower would bring forth the fruits of of salvation. Then, as we saw last week, he reminded them of the necessity of using the light that they had been given. That they must put this light out around the world. Shine it. Their spiritual knowledge was not just for themselves, but also for others. And now, in the passage before us, he encourages them That though they too must go out and sow seed, they must be sowers. Yet it is God's work to make it fruitful, to make their seed fruitful. Let us read Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And Jesus said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep. And rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. As is our Lord's common course, he explains the spiritual truths. He explains spiritual truths with vivid allusions to the physical. Something that everyone was familiar with. The sowing of seed, the growing of crops. He does this out of grace. The physical things being so much the easier understood. And thus making the spiritual things all the much easier to understand. Shedding much light upon those spiritual mysteries which are often so easily prone to lie in darkness to the natural mind. Again, he uses the profession of husbandry, doesn't he? Husbandry, once again, of agriculture. The mysterious growth and dissemination of the spiritual life is much like the work of the farmer, Jesus says. The growth of his crops. He does his duty of first casting the seed into the earth. Then he goes about his day, both day and night. He goes about his life, 
What is left unspoken is plain in our text. And it is easily understood, namely, that the farmer, the husbandman, does not only sow the seed and then go about his life, but he daily, day and night, attends unto the, the daily duties of husbandry, watering, watering the field, dunging the field. And then the earth daily and progressively increases, but the farmer controls it not. The farmer controls it not. He knows not which seed shall give life, nor which shall die, nor which shall die. Nor does he know why it shall be the case with each one. However, when the full time has come, when the full time has come, he shall harvest that which came forth, whatever it may be. So the farmer, the husbandman, is in the dark as to why and how these things happen. Still is today. We have no idea why. We see the work of spiritual growth in three ways. First, personal. Personal. Second, ministerial or evangelical. Ministerial or evangelical. And thirdly, ecclesiastical. Ecclesiastical. First, personal. Spiritual growth, personal. Each Christian, as we know, is good seed upon good soil. We live because we are good seed upon good soil. We give forth our fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some even 100-fold. Though we were dead previously in trespasses and sins, yet now we have been made alive by this same power that rose Christ from the dead. That same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead also rose us spiritually to life. Wonderful. Notice, however, this. That there must first be a sower in our personal spiritual life. There must first be a sower. The kingdom of God is as if, is as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Verse 26. We must have the word of God spoken to us if we are to believe upon it. No one is going to be given a sign in heaven and then believe upon it and be saved. See some sort of vision and be saved. No, the word must come. The sower must sow. Therefore, someone with beautiful feet, I mean a gospel preacher, must be sent to us. To believe, we must hear God in his Merciful providence, according to his own will, his own good pleasure, and his own purposes, has sent gospel preachers unto each one of us. Mm. He has. Do you remember it? Do you remember it, dear believer? The hour in which you first believed? Do you remember it? By whom did God's quickening voice come to you? Through whom? Some of you here, to use the words of St. Paul, I begat myself. Others of you, through parents, pastors, friends, family, or co-workers, were brought the words of eternal life. Whatever it may have been, and through whomever it was, be ye ever thankful to God. Be ye ever thankful to God for them. These were the 
those gracious means of God in bringing you to salvation. The gracious means of God through which the gospel, the glorious gospel of grace came to you. God sent us sowers. Also in our personal spiritual growth, we must remember that God gives the increase. Sowers came to us and they sowed the seed, but God gave the increase and continues to give the increase. Paul actually speaks to this very point. The Corinthians, you remember, had become sectarian. They'd become divisive, desiring only to follow their favorite pastor, their favorite apostle, their favorite preacher, the one through whom they believed and gained the most. Paul provides the antidote to this poison. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6, he says, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So, you may and even should be thankful to those who in obedience to God brought you the gospel. But your allegiance must lie with God and not with man. Now, if any of us have had the honor of being used of God to lead someone to the Lord, to share the gospel with them, and to see fruit spring up in them unto eternal life, if we've had that privilege, let us never be proud but rejoice. I can't help but cringe sometimes. And I know the people who say this don't necessarily mean anything by it. But when I hear someone say, I got so-and-so saved. Or I got this many saved today. We got this many saved today. I can't help but cringe. No, dear friends. They believed the gospel and trusted in Christ by you. By you. Or through means of your gospel proclamation. But it was God. God that gave the increase. It was God who saved. Amen. Not us. Amen. We have to keep that in mind in our own personal salvation as well. Be thankful to those who shared the gospel with you. But it was not they who saved you. Mm. It was God. Anyone that has ever been saved. Has been saved by the gracious supernatural working of God alone. As in Jonah, salvation is of Jehovah. Chapter 2, verse 9. It is God's prerogative, God's ability alone to work salvation for any. Saving faith is a supernatural gift. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, the Apostle Paul writes. It's a supernatural gift. We don't work faith up in ourselves. You don't give someone else faith. No, faith comes supernaturally, mysteriously, as the word is heard. Jesus says that to enter the kingdom of God, a man must be born again. Nicodemus actually highlights the spiritual inability of man in his response to what Christ said. He says, how can these things be in John 3, 9? How can these things be? Born again, Jesus points to the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit and salvation in his response. He says, except a man be born of water, that is natural birth, and of the Spirit, that is supernatural rebirth, 
He cannot enter into the kingdom of God, in verse 5. But is this at all man's work? What Jesus just laid out? What Jesus just put forward, is that at all man's work? No. It is the mysterious working of the Spirit alone. Verse 8, Jesus says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, where it desires. And thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. But we can push it even further. Why were you saved? Why were you saved, dear Christian, and not another? Why not someone else? Why not somebody else in your family? Why not somebody else in your youth group, in your church, at your high school? Why you? Why did the Spirit cause you to be born again and not someone else? Well, it is due to the purpose of God according to election, dear believer. Wherein hath God mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth, Romans 9, 11 and 18. We no more can say why two people hearing the same gospel preaching can respond, one in faith and the other in disbelief, then the farmer can say why some seed that he cast into the field sprouted unto life and bore fruit, while others lay dormant in the clods. We believers have been predestinated by Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of God's will, Ephesians 1.5. Let us also note, in our spiritual life we have gradual gradual. Or progressive growth. Gradual and progressive growth. The spiritual life within man, just like the farmer's seed, i.e. the religious life, from man's perspective, bringeth forth fruit of herself. Aftomati. Of her own strength. Or automatically. Automatically. Of her own strength. First the blade, then the ear, after that, the full corn in the ear. Verse 28. So from man's perspective, it's something that just happens. Right? When you plant the seed and some of it sprouts and others don't, and then it continues to grow, it seems to happen automatically. On its own, of its own strength. Same in our spiritual lives. We look around us and see people get saved. It happens mysteriously, automatically, of itself. From our perspective... But notice also that it's in stages. It's in stages. No farmer expects that the moment he casts some seed into the earth, that he should then have a harvest the next morning. A full harvest the next morning. Nor should we expect that we will have the faith and the knowledge and the devotion of St. Paul upon the very moment we believe. The harvest will come, but only at its appointed time. Time. Philippians 1.6, the Apostle Paul writes, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Sanctification. The doctrine of sanctification. We must understand that sanctification is progressive. It's a work of God in his own time and by his own power. Sanctification is a work of God at his own time, by his own power, 
and it is his own work. However, just as the husbandmen rose day and night to water the seed, so too we must diligently attend unto the means of grace in our life. Bible reading, prayer, church attending, the Lord's Supper, fellowship, communion of the saints. The soul must be watered with the word of God and with prayer. The Corinthians believed at the preaching of Paul. He planted. But they were diligently watered by the ministry of Apollos. This flows practically also into how we view and minister to others, other Christians. I had to learn this the hard way. We cannot expect the same growth at the same rate in others that we might see in ourselves. Or vice versa. We can't expect that we see someone else making huge strides in their religious life. And expect that we must be at the same place as they. Oftentimes, a late bloomer will grow more quickly and strongly. C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, I forget which one, maybe Mere Christianity, he talks about these two people. There's a young Anglican man who seems very holy and devout. And then there is an older woman who struggled with drunkenness and cursing and bitterness and all sorts of other things most of her life, who just recently joined the church. And he says, she has come much farther in sanctification than that young man, though objectively he be more holy, because she had more sin to crucify, more sin to mortify. She's come from much lower. And thus, though she's not even close to where he is, he is at in his knowledge, in his supposed spirituality, yet she's actually attained to a much higher place. Not everyone is going to grow at the same rate. Second, spiritual growth in our evangelism, in our ministry, ministerial and evangelical spiritual growth. In sharing the gospel with the lost, those around us, the unbelieving, in our gospel ministry, we must remember that although we plant and that we water, still it is the Lord that giveth the increase. We can go out day and night, all day, all night, all the time, preaching, preaching, preaching. And yet, if God doth not attend unto our working, And work in and through it. Nothing shall avail. There must be a sower. In the same sense. We must do our part. We must do our part. None shall ever be saved by God. Ever. If we do not accomplish our duty of bringing them the gospel. If Christians cease to evangelize. The church will cease to exist. If this generation of Christians stopped evangelizing and all the Christians died off without evangelizing, there would be no more church. Period. That's not very Calvinistic. But the Lord will ever have his gospel preachers on earth, so we need not fear. He will always have members of his body for whom his word is in their hearts as a burning fire shut up in their bones who are unable to keep it back 
from preaching the gospel. They must preach. Like Paul, they are eager to preach the gospel. And, to, and they will proclaim, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9.16 So we need not fear. But the truth remains. If we stopped evangelizing as the church, the church would no longer exist. This is to say that we must bring the gospel to the lost. We must be sowers. We must cast our seed upon the ground, cast our bread upon the waters. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 126.6 We must cultivate, dear believers, a heart for the lost. Then go out, scattering our gospel seed upon their hearts. In this, we are promised a harvest. We are promised a harvest. So preach, dear Christian. Preach. And they shall believe. However, and hear me now, preach not, and they shall not believe. They shall remain in their sins, where you safely tucked them in. In our ministering, also remember that God giveth the increase. In our ministering, we must have sowers, but God giveth the increase. Many of us have seen it, have we not? Many of us. We have labored. We've scattered the seed. We've clearly explained the gospel, brought in Bible verses. We've revealed sin. We've preached the law to them. We've then preached grace to them. We've answered objections. We've made sweet appeals to sinners in our life to come to Christ, even with tears. And yet, they remain in unbelief. They remain in sin. We've all experienced it. Yet, others... At the bare reading of a few verses, leap with joy, flying to Christ, and are saved. In both cases, in both cases, we could do and did do nothing to work faith in them. That's God's work. So whether you labor and labor and till and dung the soil and water and pray and preach... And nothing seems to come of it. Or whether you preach and they believe. In both cases, you can and did do nothing towards their salvation. Other than be obedient to God. And God used your preaching as a means unto their salvation. I know many people that have even been saved by people who are now unbelievers. Mm. Saved through the preaching of those who are now apostate. Reprobate in their ways. Many of us know people like that. Some of us might even have come to salvation through a reprobate preacher. Therefore, we can confidently commit our labors to the Lord. Amen? Amen. We can scatter the seed. And then in hopeful faith, we can retire to our beds rising again to see the Lord's increase in the morning, as the farmer did, the husbandman. Thus, do not give up. Do not give up, dear Christian, on those you have labored in the gospel with. I had a testimony recently that someone whose father had, for years, their entire life, 
been completely closed off to the gospel. Who as of recent, automatically, of itself, with no cause in sight, began to claim again faith and ask questions and be open to hearing about the gospel. Do not give up. Do not give up laboring with people in the gospel, friends, family, co-workers, that you might have put in much time and tears and blood. Ye know not, but that ye may yet see the seeds come to fruition. And how foolish would you feel if you gave up before the proper time? First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. How foolish would that husbandman be if for months he planted, watered, tilled, dunged, scattered the seed, and then saw the blade appear, rejoiced, continued to work and labor. Then he saw the ear appear and said, this is taking too long, nothing shall happen, and then leave off. Leave the harvest for another. No doubt the harvest will be reaped. But don't cheat yourself of the joy of being the one whom God uses to reap. We can boldly and confidently preach to the lost. For it is our duty and the Lord's command. He says at the end of this very gospel. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. That is scripture. We can be bold confident and unashamed for the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth and to this very command and very teaching the Lord has annexed a great promise that when we do bring the gospel to the lost as many as were ordained to eternal life shall believe Acts 13 48 that's the promise that he's given us then when we preach to the lost, they will believe. The Calvinist, the Bible believer, is like the disciples in the boat, whom, when thinking there's no fish to catch, after laboring all night, the Lord Jesus Christ says, cast your net to that side. And then their boats begin to sink for the catch. Mm. When the Lord says, go forth and preach, we will catch fish we preach but the Lord giveth the increase third ecclesiastical growth spiritual growth and ecclesiastical matters lastly let us examine spiritual growth ecclesiastically or as it pertains to the church for the church to grow spiritually and numerically what must happen well there must be sowers laborers in the harvest both those who will do their work as evangelists and those who will serve as pastors and teachers in the church. Those are the sowers. Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4, And God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. God gave apostles and prophets to reveal his word and to found his church. He gave evangelists to grow and spread the church. And he gave pastors to shepherd and teach his church. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, 
for the edifying of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. So pastors labor in the word and in prayer, nourishing the people of God with a steady diet of biblical doctrine. Now, without this office, without the office of pastor, if he had left us without pastors for the local churches, believers would be floundering in ignorance, never reaching the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, but would remain as children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. Verses 13 and 14. The church must be watered and nurtured upon the whole counsel of God. Evangelists plant, pastors water, God increaseth. Amen? Amen. Philip came upon that eunuch in the desert, reading from a portion of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, about Jesus Christ. And Philip said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I unless someone explain it to me? If I have no interpreter, how shall I know it? So too, if God had left us without pastors and teachers, we would have this, and yet know nothing about it. Mm. Know nothing about it. Unable to understand it. If you don't believe me, find those many people that exist who do not attend church and say they do not need it. They can sit with their Bible under a tree and Jesus and them will figure it out. And the Holy Spirit, you will never find such a den of false doctrine except for under those trees. Pastors labor in the word and in prayer, but God giveth the increase. The goal and purpose of the church, this might be controversial, the goal and purpose of the church, as well as the preaching of the church, has fallen on hard times, has it not? We know this. It is much misunderstood and little regarded. The office of pastor, the goal of preaching, the local church, the assembling together. And now, there are hundreds of thousands of Christians who think it just as well to sit at home, eat popcorn, and watch the service on their television set as to actually attend in person. And they shall stay at home, even when churches open up. It is much misunderstood and regard, little regarded. Many people think that the corporate gathering is a time for entertainment, social planning, or worse, and here's the controversial part maybe, or worse, for outreach. They think the local church and the gathering is for outreach. The Lord's Day service is not a time to reach the lost. If it were, where are they? I trust that none of you are. The Lord's Day service is not a time to reach the lost, but for the saints to be fed, to be edified, and to worship their God, and to partake in the means of grace. That's what the Lord's Day service is for. Now, if some unsafe person were to wander in here, or possibly be drug along by a believing relative, we'd be happy for them to sit, to hear the word read and preached, to hear the songs sung. But our desire and our purpose in being here is not that the lost would find a comfortable seat, nor even that they would be saved. 
Our goal in assembling here today is not the salvation of the lost. That's not why God established the Lord's Day service. Rather, it's that the saints would be equipped and refreshed to go out and reach the lost, as Paul just said. Your issue is with Paul and not me. A very popular Southern Baptist megachurch pastor, that viperous know-nothing Stephen Furtick, often tells his worship assembly of 6,000 plus people per service that if they, have been, if they have been at his church for two weeks or more, they've been here two weeks too long. And to get out and make room for the lost. A deadly and tragic error. Throwing the sheep from the fold. Booting the sheep from the pasture where they feed to bring in the goats. A clown and a thief is Stephen Furtick. A devil. Pastors must pastor. Deacons must serve. Members must evangelize for the church to grow numerically and spiritually. The man must rise and scatter his seed upon the earth. Dear Christian, love the church and do your duty as a member of her body. Attend diligently to the means of grace. Take heed how you hear. And in all of our church labor, remember that it is God that giveth the increase. God's church will remain until his return. It will remain until his return. He will never leave nor forsake her. Never. The gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Though Satan desires to sift us as wheat, to sift the church as wheat, yet Jesus has prayed for her. He's prayed for her that her faith fail not. The church shall increase. It shall evangelize the lost. And the church shall succeed in victory. For God himself worketh in and through her. Now we may get tired, burdened, or even frustrated by the state of the local church. With, with fur ticks running around. The state of the local church or the Catholic church. We can get tired, burdened, or even frustrated by. Especially at a time like ours. We hunger for revival, or we should. We hunger for fidelity to his word amongst his people. For true passion for God. Amen? Amen. And we wonder why he seems to tarry. We can begin to wonder why he seems to tarry. But we also must remember what our passage says this day. As we do our duty... Rising morning and night, the seed of the gospel will bring forth fruit of herself automatically. We will not understand how or why God increases the harvest as he does, but surely the blade first, then the ear, then the corn and the full ear will come. The fruit shall be brought forth by God and for God and in God's time. And he shall put forth his sickle Because the harvest is come. God's purposes for his church, dear congregation, shall never 
be thwarted. Amen. We must earnestly then, therefore, pray for an increase in the harvest. We must diligently labor in the field. We must desire this to happen. And if we desire, if we truly desire that more people would believe, we must believe. If we want people to be passionate, we must be passionate. If we want others to hunger and thirst for God, we must hunger and thirst for God. Mm -hmm. Dear congregation, faith, faith is the duty of the hour. Through faith, we were saved. And through faith, we shall increase and remain. This passage is very instructive, dear Christian. It is full of rich doctrine, sound promises, and great comfort. For the battle is the Lord's. It happens automatically, without us. Though we plant, though we must continue to water, the increase belongs to God. Very comfortable is that word. Let's not despise small beginnings either. Let's not despise small beginnings. Crucify any thought within you that would go that way. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning. If we are faithful in the little harvest, God shall make us faithful in the greater. Therefore, cling to Christ. Cling to Christ, our great God and our Savior. Serve Him, not with lips only, but in truth from the heart. Let us close with the words of the Apostle Paul to the Hebrew believers in Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Let us look to Christ, cling to Christ, do the work of evangelists, of church members, of the body of Christ, knowing that he endured much for us to succeed. And it is he who shall cause us to succeed and for the fruit to come forth. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we once again thank thee for this opportunity, O Lord. We thank Thee, O God, for saving us. For we could never have been saved if Thou had not given us faith, if we had not heard the gospel. Though we might be many years past that time when we first heard and first believed, return unto us the joy of Thy salvation, O God, that we might be ever thankful for what Thou hast done 
and saving wretches like us. Give us diligence to be faithful in the sowing of our seed, the seed of the gospel, and plowing and tilling. Give us diligence, perseverance, and faith not to give up preaching, ministering, loving others by telling them of the wrath that is to come, of the Savior that has been freely provided for all who shall believe. Bless the rest of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.